Well, it is um, my treat to introduce Garikai Masuka, our good friend from Zimbabwe um, that many of you have gotten to meet and know if you haven't met him, um, I'm super excited you get to hear from his heart. So he's going to share the word with us this morning um, as soon as his Britney Spears microphone is on. Um, and uh, it's just been such a joy to have them here. And um, we've gotten to, Jay has preached at Green Valley multiple times. I've gotten to preach there. We've gotten to, I don't know, eight or ten of us from the church have gotten to attend Green Valley. And whenever we preach at Green Valley, you know it's going to be a good sermon. When we preach at Green Valley, you know it's going to be a good sermon because he's translating most of the time. And Jay and I swear, it doesn't matter what you say, whatever comes out of his mouth is gold. And so uh, I'm not going to translate for you because I think what you say is better than what I have to say. And you don't need me to. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I'm delighted. I'm excited to be here. Uh, my wife and I arrived in the U.S. on the 9th of this month. And today is our last day here. Um, uh, today is the last day of our trip. Uh, we have lived our dream. And I think it's time to wake up and be home. <laughs> uh, I want to thank so much uh, our host, uh, the McDavis, Jordan and wife, and the whole church for embracing us as brothers and a sister. You did embrace us. You welcomed us. Uh, all the places we have been to, and the services that we did, the fellowship. I'm truly grateful on behalf of my, my wife and I. We, we are thankful to you. Um, I always remember the first time that I met Jordan and Tom when they came to Zimbabwe, some years back. I think it's close to 10 years now. 2012, yeah, 2012. So it has been a steady growth in relationship. The Lord has blessed, blessed us uh, as we work together. I know a lot of things that um, Jordan and his family and those who have been to Zimbabwe, uh, Jay and um, Micah, uh, Jordan Knox, they know him as Dr. Knox and Dr. Jordan. <laughs> uh, and um, Peg, uh, oh, and Brother Daniel. And those, did I miss somebody? I may miss some people when I go to names. But all those people you have sent who have been to Zimbabwe, uh, they, now I know what you'll be living when you are in Zimbabwe. It's a lot of sacrifice, uh, especially for Jordan. I have been to places that uh, are very tough. The road trips that we have did for the Lord, and uh, he knows my mother. He has spent a day at our family house. It's a very, very humble uh, situation. I can tell you just the list that when he arrived, we're in the process of building up and there was no proper bathroom. But we were there for the sake of him, for the sake of Jesus. Uh, we have done a lot together. All the ministry. I've talked about Green Valley, 
but I did not talk about the work that is happening in Chipinge, a place called Chimana, where we worked together, building a dam so that we can, building a lake, a little pond, so that we can put fish in, so as to feed children who live in a children's home. Uh, it is a lot of sacrifice, and we are thankful to God for you supporting them, and also for the work just which they did uh, among the people of Zimbabwe. So we are grateful to the mission that the, the trailblazers who came first and those who supported them and those who have been coming to Zimbabwe. Um, it is all for him. It's all for Jesus. I want to tell you a story. In Zimbabwe, we tell stories a lot. And uh, a sermon, if we don't tell a story, it may sound as if it is not uh, a sermon to us because our Zimbabwean people love stories, and I think you also love stories. I want to tell you a story of um, a woman who was living in an uprising building um, with her daughter, just the two of them. They lived on a fourth floor of an apartment building. So one day they left, the lady left her daughter, went out shopping, on her way back, something unusual was happening. There was a lot of noise, sirens filling the air, smoke filling the air as well. She panicked. She started running. Her fears were confirmed. Her apartment building was on fire. And her daughter was in that apartment building. So the fire team was trying, as they were trying a lot to put out the fire. When she arrived, she just told the head of the fire team that my daughter is up there. Then the gentleman said, look, ma'am, it's true your daughter is there, but it's now too dangerous for anyone to get there. So as the conversation was going on, a young man who just joined the fire department also overheard that, and he said, Sir, if that was my daughter who is up there, I was going to try something. I was not just going to wait and say, well, there is nothing that I can do. So, uh, he requested his senior for permission to go up and get the girl. The man said, look, that's your life. But my expert knowledge is telling me that there is no one who can try that and survive. Said, well, I'll give it a try. He weaved his way up the building. Got in, he appeared holding the baby. And people used the net, he threw the baby, and the baby was rescued. But just before he leapt out, the building collapsed. And it was all in fire, and no one was able to rescue him. So many years down the line, a girl was seen kneeling beside a grave, and she was crying. A passerby stopped and talked to her, 
and said, Lady, whose grave is this? Is this the grave of your father? She said, no, it's not the grave of my father. The man went on and said, is, is this the grave of your brother, your mother, or somebody that, or maybe your fiance? Because the lady was just a young lady who obviously was not married. Um, then the lady said, no, it's none of those. This is the grave of a man who died for me. He gave his life so that I can live. So we tell these stories to a lot of people in distress. People who suffer a lot of problems and children, young adults, teenagers who live with a thorn in their flesh. Those who live with the virus that causes AIDS, HIV positive people who obviously got the virus from their parents when the pandemic was worse, was terrible in Zimbabwe. They live with it. Thanks to the miracle of medication, they are able to live a full life these days and tapping from the resources that are available in the kingdom of God, the moral support, the spiritual support, the hope that is preached. They can manage, they go on, they live lives that are full of joy. They celebrate existence, even though they have the thorn. The struggle, though, for most of them is when they are just about to get married. They must disclose to a person that they are in love with that they have a thorn that is in their flesh, and it comes with stigma. And our ministry, through the word of God, help to get them to disclose their, their status, get them to accept who they are, get them to have hope in the Lord. So today I'm going to share a reading of scripture from a message that we preach most of the time to people who are hopeless and bring them to hope. Bring them to a saving faith in the Lord. The message is uh, from the book of Isaiah. Somebody once told me that Isaiah is one of the most prophetic books in the Bible. If you look at uh, the book of Isaiah, those who go through seminary, study the word of God deeper, and even those who just take effort to go deeper in studying the word of God. They find that the book of Isaiah is basically divided into two segments. The first segment is Isaiah chapter 1 to Isaiah chapter 39. In those 39 chapters, the writer is writing about what happened in Jerusalem when the Israelites were in Jerusalem. So they call, some people who think the book was written by two people, they say that part was written by Isaiah of Jerusalem. But we believe very much that it was written by one person. So 39 chapters dealing with what happened in Jerusalem. And then the other chapters from chapter 40 
to 66, they deal with what happened when the Israelites were in diaspora, when the Israelites were uh, spread all over after they were displaced from their lands. 27 chapters in all. So we have 39 books in the Old Testament. And 39 chapters from dealing with what happened in Jerusalem in the book of Isaiah. We have 27 books in the New Testament. And 27 chapters dealing with post-exilic, the things that happened when Israel was out of um, the promised land when they were dispersed. So put together, the 66 chapters, somebody told me that, well, it looks like it's a prophecy about the canon that we have today because we have 66 books in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Is that not something amazing? So I will read from this prophetic book a chapter which very much uh, if somebody talks about it, you may think that it was taken from the New Testament, yet it was not taken from the New Testament. It is in the Old Testament. It is the New Testament in the Old Testament. And there is a person from my continent, the continent of Africa, who was reading this particular passage that I'm going to read. And his story is captured uh, in the book of um, Acts of the Apostles uh, from Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40. This man is called the Ethiopian eunuch. By that time, Africa was not divided in the into countries that we know because that happened only in the 1800s. And this happened about 2,000 years ago. So this man was reading... Isaiah chapter 53. As he's reading Isaiah chapter 53, Philip came running. He was in a chariot. And Philip, overpowered by the Holy Spirit, he came running. I can imagine, you no, know, a chariot is moving, horse-drawn chariot. I think it was moving very fast. But the Spirit of the Lord enabled Philip to catch up with the chariot. Then he asked the Ethiopian eunuch whether he understands what he was reading. Then the Ethiopian eunuch, well, by the way, by Ethiopian, it just meant a man of uh, darker skin, just like me and Virginia. <laughs> That's uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, because the country of Ethiopia was not there as it is today. It, was, it is just talking of an... So the gospel then came to us as well, as he was preached to by Philip. Philip helped him to understand this passage of Isaiah, which by the grace of God, after I'm going to read it, uh, we are going to um, understand it also together as we share it more frequently with people back in my country, most of them who are in distress, and the chapter inspire hope to us. So Isaiah chapter 53, I'm going to read from verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one who people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us, that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was cut off from the land of the living for the, for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offsprings and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteousness servant will justify many. And he will bear the iniquities. Therefore, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And will divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For before, for he bore, sorry, I'll read, for, be, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for their transgressions. May God bless the reading of Isaiah 53, for that's his word, which is active and living and sharper than a double-edged sword, dissecting and discerning the thoughts of the mind. So this is a very beautiful picture painted by the prophet Isaiah. It is a picture of the suffering servant of the Lord. And you may know that the Israelites were expecting the coming of the Messiah, and this is normally 
considered a messianic prophet, prophets. No one ever expected the Messiah who would come and suffer as is portrayed in this. They were expecting a Messiah who would come, ride chariots, and bring down the, 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 the enemies of Israelites and establish the kingdom of David and reign and bring economic prosperity. And now the prophet is painting this picture of the suffering servant of God. Is it not interesting that the prophet is saying he had no beauty or majesty when you look at him? In my country where I come from, people want to be associated with people who are beautiful. They want beautiful people to be their friends. People want to be associated with people who are wealthy. They want wealthy people to be their friends. People want to be associated with people who, who have majesty, who look kingly, but he was none of those. There was nothing in his appearance from this prophet that can attract anyone to him. He was crushed. He was like this person that people can hide their faces from. You look at a person who is injured, the first impression is, ouch! You look aside. He was like that. The pain that he suffered on the cross, our imagination cannot fathom it. We cannot measure in our in the depth, in the deepest depth and the highest level of our imagination. We cannot measure the excruciating pain that he faced on the cross of Gorogotha. All the sins of the sinners. For the prophet is saying, each one of us. When he was talking, meaning me and you, and the people that he was addressing at first, each one of us, we were lost. We went astray. Each one on his way. It gives me the impression that we tend to have sins that are peculiar to ourselves. Gary sins, Virginia sins, Jordan sins, Olivia sins. Tom sins. Sins that are just peculiar to us. But all the sins in their diversity, they were all heaped on him. He bore the iniquity of the world, past, present, and even future. They were heaped on him. And that shout that we hear on the cross my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? Does not sound like the shout of the Son of God. It is the shout of one who is carrying all the sins of the world. Because the effect of sins is separating people from God. So at that brief moment he was separated. Only to bring us to this saving faith. My dear brothers and sisters here at Cornerstone Church, our message 
the message that we should champion is supposed to be all about him. The acts of generosity that we do, it is all about him. We, ha we are partners in the work that they are doing in Zimbabwe. And we have done our little bit, what we are able to do, and the Lord doing what we are not able to do through the partnership that we have. Let us remind each other. You need to remind us in Zimbabwe. We need to remind you here in the U.S. that it is all about him. It is about his kingdom. It is about his glory. So when we share this message, it brings healing. It energizes tired people. Uh, I want to sort of bring this time to a close with a story, a real life story. This story is uh, a story of a young man that I knew from Beth. We ministered to him, and now he's a teenager. So when he was born uh, in around 2003, the young man's name is Brian, and Jordan knows Brian. Uh, as we have ministered together, he has preached at Brian's church. Uh, Brian goes to another Nazarene church that we go to. So I was actively involved in the ministry that um, rehabilitated Brian. When Brian was born, his mother was HIV positive. And already she was suffering from AIDS because there is a progression, HIV, and then you develop what is called acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. So the mother was already very sick when Brian was born. So normally, children born during that time, this time it's a little bit better, thanks to the miracle of, medic of uh, medication which I talked about. So during that time, the chance was very high that if you are born to a mother who has HIV, especially which has developed to be AIDS, you'll be also HIV positive. So Brian was born to a mother who was already very sick, and people would know that possibly he has the virus from the day when he was born, before he was tested. And that was not enough. Brian was um, a twin. He was twin number one, and his brother followed. So... Culture is very stubborn. The African culture, for a long time, it was not tolerant to things that are not normal, things that we don't normally get, things that are unique. Thanks to God, there is a new understanding that each and every child born is an image bearer of God, has the image of God as much as any other person, regardless of age. Newborn baby has the image of God as much as the eldest member of the community. 
Well, where I come from, age is respected so much. And people try very much to be older than others. If you ask me how old I am, I, I always say, I am turning. <laughs> what it means is I'm trying to be the, uh, the year ahead. So, there was a time where people would not understand why some people are born twins. And because of that, one child was supposed to be chosen from those two to live. And the other one was supposed to be put to rest. That's olden tradition. But the stubbornness of tradition is that some people still believe that. And they try to do that in the modern era, in this day and age. So he was born a twin, and some people would think that it's a bad woman. So, the weaker one was supposed to go. And Brian was definitely the weaker one. For this reason which I'm about to tell you. He was born albino. So, just being albino and not a queen was enough way back in our history for the child not to make it. The midwives would make sure that uh, it was considered an abomination to be an albino. So the midwives would make sure that the child would be put to rest. So Brian was born to an HIV-positive mother. The chance was that he was also born with HIV. He was born a twin. The probability that he was going to survive was not good. It was... He had a high chance of not making it. And also, being born albino, it was automatic that he was not supposed to make it. Well, the mother, some few months after he was born, as if to make the traditionalists believe that what they believe is true, she passed on. And we, the church had to come in because we have this ministry, people would come and tell us that oh, their kids were born there. The mother passed away. And the church stepped in and inspired hope where there was no hope. And convinced the community that these children, they are a blessing from God. God has a plan for their lives. And they were brought to the church. And they were raised at the church. As we are speaking, Bright is now a young man who is in his teens. He's bubbling with life. And he is gifted. He has a gift of music. You know, as Celis was playing the piano or keyboard, uh, it reminded me of him. That's his ministry when he's in church. He plays the keyboard. He's contributing meaningfully to worship in our church. Thanks to God for this message that he brought, which shined the light of the Lord to dark corners of our world. And up to this day, it is continuing to shine that, that light. It is continuously inspiring hope 
where if you look at it, you find that what is the reason for somebody to, to have a smile? But by the grace of the Lord, there are many stories of the Lord's intervention, success, overcoming adversities through the word of God. And I'm so grateful as I close to share this message that I got from the elders at Green Valley Church and the whole church. I know we can't wait to be home, not because you have not been hospitable, but we want to unpack the stories, the experiences that we have lived here, and let them know that we have met you, brothers and sisters. And they send their messages that we should thank you for all you did for him in Jesus' name. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Lord, I thank you for this wonderful moment that we've had sharing your word here at Cornerstone Church. I thank you, Lord, for making it possible. I thank you for your children and their generosity and everything that has happened for you through them. May you remember them when they are in distress. May you cause your face to shine upon them. May you give them help from the sanctuary and give them support from Zion. May you remember all their sacrifices. May the goodness of the Lord continue to be, above, to be on them and preserve them and keep them. May you continue to keep them in the narrow and straight for your glory. We pray all this, Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.